Greetings from Texas. This is Dr. Harlan Betts welcoming you to Wisdom from Above. The seven episodes of our first season dealt with the topic, What's So Special About the Bible? We discovered that the Bible is inspired by God and inerrant in its content. We also discovered that the Bible is our final authority for what we believe and for how we behave. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear those episodes, I encourage you to carve out the time to listen to them. This second season has been devoted to trying to answer the crucial questions people ask. Today's question goes like this. Isn't Christianity just a psychological crutch? Now, no one likes uh, to be accused of using a psychological crutch or of being crazy. The other day, one of my golfing buddies was saying, This is driving me crazy. And I took the opportunity to give him a hard time by saying, That isn't a drive. That's just a putt. <laughs> well, there, there are folks out there who are dismissing Christianity as being just a putt away from being crazy. They think Christians are emotional cripples, and Christianity is just a psychological crutch. How do we answer them? Let me share their six charges and the six answers that I would give. Charge number one. They say that Christianity is a sign of weakness. They say that trusting in God is a sign of weakness. They say that we have created God in order to cope with our inadequacies in the present and our fears of the future. But that's really not true. Think about it. Every single person on this planet has some inadequacies in the present. And every single person on this planet is going to face a future. What will that future be? Is there an afterlife? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? As Shakespeare's Hamlet said, Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil? Must give us pause. Have you paused to think about your future and the afterlife? Winston Churchill once said, True genius resides in the capacity for evaluation of uncertain, hazardous, and conflicting information. In light of Churchill's quote, I think what the Apostle Paul said reveals true genius. He wrote this in Romans 1, 18-21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, in their conscience, for God has shown it to them in creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they knew there was a God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. You see, through conscience, what is manifest in us, and through creation, what is shown to us, we all know, everyone knows there is a God, and so everyone is without excuse. And since there is a God seeking to know him, and seeking meaning in this life, And preparing for the future is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of wisdom. The Bible says that failing to recognize and respond to God is a sign of futile thoughts, intellectual weakness, and foolish hearts, 
emotional weakness. Consequently, preparing for one's future and the afterlife is not a sign of emotional weakness. It's a sign of emotional and intellectual strength. Charge number two. They say that Christianity is a result of preconditioning. They say that if a person was raised to believe in a God, they could never deny that preconditioning. This is wrong for three reasons. First, this charge of preconditioning is wrong because there are many people who've grown up in a Christian home who've rejected Christianity. Second, this charge of preconditioning is wrong because it assumes that all Christians were raised in a Christian environment. In actuality, many Christians came out of religiously hostile or religiously neutral environments. When I was at the University of Iowa, I was speaking at a dormitory for uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. A young man by the name of John Loper had a reputation as one of the most rebellious and licentious guys at the University of Iowa. And he lived in this dorm where I was speaking. John told me later that he looked into the room where I was speaking. He saw a bunch of good-looking women and he decided to come in. He heard my talk. He asked to meet with me afterwards. And he, and he said, I don't know exactly what it is that you have. But whatever it is, I want it. I told John about God's love for all of us and about Jesus dying in our place and rising from the dead. And ultimately, John places faith in Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. The only picture I ever had of John was one of him standing in front of a local bar in Iowa City. He wanted me to have that picture as a before picture, as a reminder of where he had come from and how far God had taken him. You see, John was not preconditioned towards Christianity. In fact, just the opposite was true. He was preconditioned to reject Christianity. Uh, and thirdly, this charge of preconditioning is wrong because a position is not wrong just because it's preconditioned. The real question is not, was there some preconditioning? Rather, we should ask, is there some valid objective reality? Is there some valid objective reality behind my preconditioning? Most of us were preconditioned to believe that Rudolph led a team of reindeer pulling a flying sleigh, and later understanding showed that that may not be the truth. Most of us were also preconditioned to believe that fire is hot, and later experience confirmed this is actually true. You see, preconditioning doesn't validate truth. And preconditioning doesn't invalidate truth. As Winston Churchill once said, truth is incontrovertible. Panic may resent it. Ignorance may deride it. Malice may distort it. But there it is. So preconditioning does not validate, nor does it invalidate truth. Charge number three. They say Christianity is a crutch for emotionally crippled people. Well, actually, Christianity is not just a crutch for crippled people. It's a cure for dying people. It's not simply something designed to help us help ourselves, like a crutch would. It is something designed to help us since we cannot help ourselves, like giving life to something that is dead. Jesus is not just a guide. 
He is the way. Jesus is not just an option. He is the answer. Jesus is not just trying to help us. Jesus is trying to save us. The question is, how can a sinful man get everlasting life? And the answer is, by faith in Jesus Christ. John 3.16 makes it clear, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, recognizing our sinfulness is not a sign of emotional weakness. It is a sign of emotional health. The first thing a person must do in order to solve a problem is identify the problem. And man's basic problem is a heart problem. Man's basic problem is a sin problem. And recognizing that problem is the first step towards dealing with it. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah summed it up this way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, that verse begins with all, and it ends with all. And we need to go in at the first all, and we need to come out at the second all. Going in at the first all is acknowledging our problem, a sin problem. This is all of us have gone our own sinful way. And the penalty of our sin is death. The second all is that the Lord laid on him our iniquity, the Father laid on Jesus all our sins. And Jesus paid our penalty. So you go in at the first all, you come out at the second all. You go in as a sinner deserving death. You come out as a sinner trusting that your death penalty was paid by Jesus. The real sign of a being emotionally crippled is an unwillingness to admit one's sinfulness and an unwillingness to admit one's need for God. Charge number four. They say that Christianity is just a religious anesthetic. Uh, They say that Christianity is like morphine. It deadens our senses, masks our fears, and clouds our guilt. Actually, Christianity is not like morphine. It's like smelling salts. It doesn't deaden our senses. It makes them alive to God. The Bible says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Ephesians 2.1 It doesn't mask our fears. It casts them out with love. The Bible says, There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. 1 John 4.18 It doesn't cloud our guilt. It removes the guilt with forgiveness. The Bible says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Romans 4.7 So Christianity is not at all like a religious anesthetic. It's like good medicine. Christianity makes us alive in the present and gives us hope for the future. As the Bible says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Charge number five. They say that belief and emotions do not determine truth. Well, actually, we would agree with that. But just as belief in something does not make it true, even so, disbelief in something 
doesn't make it false. This truth can be illustrated by considering a couple examples related to the law of gravity. A man believes that if he throws a ball up, it will come down. He throws the ball up and it comes down. Did it come down because he believed it would? No. It came down because of the law of gravity. It didn't matter what he believed. Truth was not determined by his belief. Uh, let's say another man doesn't believe in gravity. He steps off a six-story building. Does he stay in the air because he does not believe in gravity? No. He steps out. He starts down. He picks up speed. He lands with a thud. It doesn't matter what he believed. Truth is not determined by belief. You see, Christianity is not some kind of faith-in-faith religion. Faith does not create reality. We place our faith in a reality. Beliefs do not determine truth, but truth should be believed in. The Bible says in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then the Bible quotes Jesus in John 17, 17, where Jesus said to God the Father, Your word is truth. So Jesus is truth, and the Bible, God's word is truth, and truth should be believed in. So again, truth is not determined by belief, but we should believe in the truth. Charge number six. They say Christianity is subjective, psychological. They say our belief in Jesus Christ is psychological. Some people seem to think that belief in God is just subjective, not objective. Some say that Christianity is something that just exists in our minds, almost like it's illusory or delusional. But in order for our belief to be merely psychological, it must be totally subjective. And Christianity is not totally subjective. Granted, Christianity has many emotional and experiential realities, but our faith is based on historical realities and objective realities. Christianity has a lot of objective data to substantiate our faith. In fact, we teach that faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. If you place your faith in a chair to hold you up and it's a flimsy, worthless chair and it collapses, well, your faith was only as good as the object in which it's placed. If you place your faith in a chair to hold you up and it's built well and solid and substantial, it holds you up. But again, it's because faith is only as good as the object in which it's placed. As Christians, we're placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Many historical records substantiate his life. Many historical records substantiate his death. Many historical records substantiate his resurrection. Jesus was a historical person who lived on this planet. Jesus' life is verifiable. And so our faith is in objective truth. It's not subjective. It's objective. 
Christianity is not a leap in the dark. Christianity is a step into the light, the light of Jesus, the light of evidence, the light of reality, the light of history, the light of truth. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. The Apostle Paul, excuse me, the Apostle Matthew records the events of the, that glorious day in Matthew 28, verses 1 to 6, with these words. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord had lain. Notice the challenge in verse 6. Come and see. Come and see. Christianity invites investigation. The Bible tells us in Acts 1-3 that Jesus' resurrection is verified by many convincing proofs. So the first challenge is come and see. This investigation, as you investigate Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection, it leads to faith in Jesus. The next challenge is in verse 7. Go quickly and tell his disciples that Jesus has risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So the first challenge was come and see. Christianity invites investigation. The second challenge is go and tell. Go and tell. Tell others uh, what you have discovered about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Two men in Colorado were hunting in January, and it looked like it was going to storm, and darkness was coming quickly. So they took a shortcut over a lake. Even though there was a solid coat of ice over the lake, one hunter was terribly fearful that the ice might break and they would be swallowed up in the icy waters below. He had very little faith, but the ice held, and he made it across. Later in May, the same two men were hiking in Colorado, Again, it looked like it was going to storm and darkness coming quickly. So again, they decided to take a shortcut over the lake. But this time, the man who previously had been so full of fear was now full of faith. He had no worries about the ice cracking and causing him to be swallowed up in the icy waters below. Unfortunately, the ice cracked and he fell in. The first time he had little faith and it held him up. The last time he had a lot of faith and it didn't hold him. You see... Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. My friends, uh, there is an objective reality behind the subjective experience of Christianity. Some of the objective realities are the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, our beliefs are based on objective realities. Our beliefs are not just subjective. Our beliefs are not just psychological we should not claim that Christianity is true because we have experienced it, but rather we should claim that Christianity is true because of its solid, historical, and objective foundations. And our experience has simply confirmed 
that Christianity is true. The following drama was reported by Peter Micklemore in the October 1987 Reader's Digest. Normally, the flight from Nassau to Miami took Walter Wyatt Jr. only about 65 minutes. But on December 5, 1986, he attempted it after thieves had looted the navigational equipment in his Beechcraft airplane. With only a compass and a handheld radio, Walter flew in disguise darkened by storm clouds. When his compass began to gyrate, Walter concluded he was headed in the wrong direction. He flew his plane below the clouds, hoping to spot something, but soon he knew he was lost. He put out a mayday call, which brought Coast Guard Falcon search plane to lead him to an emergency landing strip only six miles away. Suddenly, Wyatt's right engine coughed its last and died. The fuel tank had run dry. Around 8 p.m., Wyatt could do little more than glide the plane into the water. Wyatt survived the crash, but his plane disappeared quickly, leaving him bobbing in the water in a leaky life vest. With blood on his forehead, Wyatt floated on his back. Suddenly, he felt a hard bump against his body. A shark had found him. Wyatt kicked the intruder and wondered if he would survive the night. He managed to stay afloat for the next ten hours. In the morning, Wyatt saw no airplanes, but in the water, a dorsal fin was headed for him. Twisting, he felt the height of a shark brush against him. In a moment, two more bull sharks sliced through the water toward him. Again, he kicked the sharks and they veered away, but he was nearing exhaustion. Then he heard the hum of a distant aircraft. When it was within a half mile, he waved his orange vest. The pilot dropped a smoke canister and radioed the cutter Cape York, which was 12 minutes away. Get moving, cutter. There's a shark targeting this guy. As the Cape York pulled alongside Wyatt, a Jacob's ladder was dropped over the side, and Wyatt climbed wearily out of the water onto the ship, where he fell to his knees and kissed the deck. Walter Wyatt had been saved. He didn't need encouragement or better techniques. Nothing less than outside intervention could have rescued him from sure death. Spiritually, we're just as helpless as as Wyatt was. We cannot save ourselves. We don't need encouragement or better techniques. Nothing less than outside intervention can rescue us from eternal death and separation from God. It could be said that agnosticism is a psychological crutch. It soothes the conscience of those who avoid investigating the evidence of Christ. It masks the intellectual pride of the ignorant. It could also be said by atheism that atheism is a psychological crutch. It soothes the conscience of those who avoid facing the truth of creation and conscience and Christ and mask the moral pride of the foolish. But Christianity is not a psychological crutch. It's a spiritual cure. Jesus is not just a great teacher. He's a personal savior. His death and resurrection were not just nice for us. They were necessary for us. We needed outside help. We needed God's help. And he sent Jesus. We're all lost in this spiritual sea of life. We've all sinned, and the wages of our sin is death and separation from God forever. That is why God the Son came to earth. That is why God the Son died on the cross. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. For God so loved you and me and the whole world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and pay for our sins, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Have you placed your faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sin and for eternal life? If not, I would encourage you to do so right now, right where you are.
Thank you for carving out the time to listen to Wisdom from Above. I hope you're finding these podcasts insightful and helpful. Please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share this podcast with others. I want to say that again, it's because it's important in getting the word out. Share this podcast with your family. Share this podcast with your friends. This is Dr. Harlan Betts wishing you a great day and God's blessings. And thanking you again for joining me in this passionate quest for wisdom from above. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share with your friends and family. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other platforms. Additional apps can be added upon request. If you'd like to contact me, send an email to harlanbetts at icloud.com. That is H-A-R-L-A-N-B-E-T-Z at icloud.com. Or visit my Facebook page, Wisdom from Above with Dr. Harlan Betts. Thank you so much for your support.